there are physical aspects of our bodies that that don't define us and you don't realize it until after you've been through something until you've had everything stripped away from you and you're like i'm still me in here i'm still me Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I'm your host, Lana Mercedes. And I'm your guest, Anna Lynch Sparks. Anna is a writer, director, producer, and comedian based in New York City. And one of my good friends of, I don't know how many years, but she is on the show and I'm really, really excited to have you on. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So much to talk about, huh? I haven't seen you in, I think it's been like, I don't know when I was last in New York, like four years since we since we shot talk. Yeah. yeah. It's been a long time. Long. Lots how's happened it, since then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. How's, how's it going in the like quarantine life out there? You know, in the beginning, I mean, for, I can only speak for me personally, but like in the beginning, it was great because I was just like, I get to wear sweatpants every day. <laughs> and then and then the reality of how, you know, the situation is horrible, obviously. Right. Started to sink in. And then. um I sh- we were I was living in a one bedroom apartment uh, with my wife in Brooklyn, and we both were working from home. And she's on the phone like twelve hours a day. <laughs> so it's just it didn't work. Uh, we had we moved. Yeah. We had to we get out had to get out of there. <laughs> so it's but you just moved. You just bought. I a did house. just move. Yep. Mm-hmm. First so exciting. House. Yeah. It's yeah. So exciting. Congratulations. Thank so you. You have a lot more space now. A lot more room to like move around since you're. I, I heard something where someone was saying you're not actually working from home anymore. You're just like living at work. You're living at work. Relate. Exactly. Yeah. I'm but, fine with that as long as I get to wear sweatpants. It's fine. Yeah. I'm thinking but, it's been so hot here. I'm like sweatpants just like instantly make me want to have a panic attack right now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's LA okay. With my hot flashes, uh, the sweatpants we're, we're on bad. the same length, yeah. <laughs> same wavelength there. <laughs> So Anna, I wanted to have you on the podcast because I, crazy too, I didn't even know when I first met you, you were battling, you were going through everything with cancer, no idea. And I'm like, Anna, you were like the life of the party every time we were on set. And then I find out you're going through all these things. And I'm like, how does she, like, you would never know. There's other was, people I, that- was I actively going through chemo at that time? I don't, I honestly don't even know if you were actively going through it. I just kind of heard some stuff like after we wrapped, like, oh yeah, Anna, this, I'm like, the one that's like getting the party started, like bouncing <laughs> off the walls, Anna, everybody else is, you know, tired coming in with one eye open and you were ready to go every single time. I think that might've been in the very, very beginning of when I started. I remember cause I didn't, I was working freelance at the time and I didn't want to be super open about it. Cause I was worried that I wouldn't get work. You know, I, I was worried mm. that people would be like, oh, she's sick. Like, you know, we don't want to hire her. Right. She's a liability. So I was trying to trying to keep it under wraps. But yeah. Which is not a thing that you even want to have in your thought process while also dealing with that. No. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. I've been through cancer twice now. And the first time I was freelance and that was definitely, um, it was hard. But this, I, if I had tried to do that the second time, there's no way. I was so sick the second time. There's no way I could have hit it. Yeah. So you you actually touched on something really important. You you said you didn't want to feel like you were a liability or not getting offered work because of this diagnosis. Did you have any type of experience 
with that in other ways or like know anyone that's dealt with that? Like what, why did that kind of come into your head? So not that I, I, I don't know if she ever had any experience feeling like she was a liability, but um, I actually, I worked on a set before I was diagnosed uh, with this, with this woman. Um, we ended up becoming really good friends. She was a production designer and she had gone through uh, a breast cancer I don't even know it's called experience. Mm-hmm. Um, she she had been battling that, and she she left said a couple times to talk to her doctor. And I remember just, you know, I was asking like, what's going on with her? What's going on? And um and I know that it was hard for her, at least on the shoot that we worked on, to to get away from it. You know, she was yeah. just completely uh, entrenched in it. So I remember thinking like, I I'm nervous to have that be me because. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know. Maybe I just hold, I, I'm that much of a perfectionist that I, I didn't want people to think I wouldn't be up to the job. Um, not that, yeah, not that she wasn't at all. I, I was just, I don't know. You're kind of putting it on yourself. When just putting it on myself. And, yeah. and there's so many different things that go through your head that like you don't realize about yourself until you're put in a situation like that mm-hmm. that you have to deal with. So can you give the audience just um, a bit of an explanation as to what you do for work? Because you mm-hmm. said you're such a perfectionist. Like, what is it that you do for work for you to even, you know, start putting those thoughts into your head? So at that time, I was working as a, an art director. So I do, you know, I was a prop master, art director, production designer uh, for music videos, commercials, um, a couple short films. But it was all freelance work. Um so I, I was worried, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't have health. I had health insurance through my wife at that time, mm-hmm. but but my entire income was just based on freelance and and basically word of mouth. Um, Got it. So that was the first time I went through uh, breast cancer, and then the second time I actually got a, a full time job as a writer producer at Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. Um, so this the second go go around, if you want to call it that, uh, I, I I do have a full time job and health insurance. Um, different, hard in its own way for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it felt a little bit more secure. Okay, that makes sense. And so can you now run us back through like when you were first diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, the diagnoses that you had, what, what actually first went through your head when you were diagnosed? So the first time I was diagnosed, I was on, uh, I was on vacation with my wife and she felt uh, a small lump in my side. It was almost like, it felt like a hard pee, like a frozen pee um, on, on my rib cage on the side of my right breast. And okay. um, and I was a little concerned, but she was like, you know, don't worry about it. Um, it's probably nothing. You know, you're 32 years old. It's probably, you're fine. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I was like, okay, noted. I will get that checked out when I come back into town. Got back home, scheduled an appointment with my gynecologist. Um, she felt it and she was like, she said the same thing. She's like, you know, you're young. It's probably nothing, but I would like you to go get an ultrasound. Um, I went mm-hmm. and had an ultrasound and, and I remember the technician looked worried and they immediately were like, we need to biopsy this right away. So that was my first like mm, hint that, that yeah. something was wrong. Um, had a biopsy. It ended up being invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, 
I didn't know the stage at the time because they don't, you don't really know that until after you have a surgery for it. But um, yeah, I was invasive ductal carcinoma. Uh, I had a lumpectomy and I went through what I call chemo light because it wasn't, it was chemo, but I didn't fully lose my hair or get super sick. Mm-hmm. I felt, I felt crappy, but um, not like the second time, which I'll get into. Right. But, um, so, so I went through chemo light and then, uh, then I had radiation for a month and was, you know, declared cancer free. I'm doing air yeah. quotes, you can't see, but yeah. um, there's about a year in between. And I was having, I was having pain in my side and I didn't, I thought maybe something was wrong with my liver. Obviously having had cancer, I was a little bit freaked out that yeah. it had spread. Um yeah to my, my organs. So I went in and I got a, an MRI. Oh, and mind you, it, my breast cancer did not show up on the mammograms. I recall. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, just really quickly into that, because I will, I will, chemo brain, I will lose my train of thought. <laughs> um, I'm here to keep you on track. It's okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have, and a lot of people have this, I have really I had really dense breast tissue, okay. so um, my breast cancer did not show up in the mammograms. And this, when I was diagnosed for the second time, it came back negative. So had I not had an MRI in addition to the mammogram, they wouldn't have caught it. But and I hear mm-hmm. some people say that they only get the mammogram without the ultrasound. So I'm curious. There. I think if I remember correctly, it was just a mammogram. But then I also had the MRI on top, like not on top of it, but in addition to it, mm-hmm. um, and then. Then they did an, oh my God, I think then they did the ultrasound and the biopsy on the same day. Um, so this so, was the first time around. They didn't find it on just the mammogram. Both times. Oh, both times. Okay. Yeah. Didn't wow. show up. Um, so the second time, so I, I was having pain in my liver, in that area. I went in and I had an MRI liver came back okay but then they're like you know you have some spots on that right breast that you had surgery on it's probably just scar tissue um so don't don't worry about it and i had already had an mri a checkup mammogram and mri scheduled so i was like i'll just you know check up on it when i go in for it there's no need to make another appointment and this was maybe about um, a little under a month later mm-hmm. so I went in for that and um yeah pretty much pretty much got the news right away that it had returned um, in the same breast. It was, it had spread throughout the breast um, and I needed to do something about it fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up the second time I had a bilateral mastectomy. They gave me the option of, of just uh, keeping one breast, but I wanted because it had been the second time that it had come, or the first, sorry, because it had recurred, I wanted to just be safe. So, um, and remind us so, first versus second time, same breast, different breasts, same breast. Okay. Um, but that first surgery was just a lumpectomy, which means they just took the cancer out and left the breast pretty much intact. They mm-hmm. also, they took a few lymph nodes out to test them. Um, they were negative the first time. Mm-hmm. So the second time it came back, uh, 
the doctor recommended a mastectomy. They gave me the option of one or two, both breasts. And um, I chose to have both breasts removed since I had had a recurrence. And I didn't want to go through everything again. Right. Um, so had both my breasts removed. Uh, I had expanders put in that would um, eventually be replaced with breast implants. Okay. Um, so that's something that they did immediately after the procedure? Yeah. So when you... Uh, everyone, I mean, there's different ways to, to do reconstruction. Some people don't opt for reconstruction at all. Mm -hmm. Um, the reconstruction that I had, they remove the breast tissue and then they place, uh, their, their temporary implants, basically they're, they're harder than the permanent implants. Um, and they fill them with saline through like a, a giant needle into your breast every few weeks. And basically what they do is they expand that, uh, the area in your chest so they can fill it with implants. Cause basically it's just, it's just muscle and skin. Mm -hmm. They put them underneath the pectoral muscles. So they have to stretch that area out to fill it. And it's not comfortable. I can only, I'm like, <laughs> I did a mammogram and I, it was not a good experience for me. So I'm like having to then do that. And I just, it's can't. painful, right? Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing that's not painful about this. Even the biopsy was like, they went so far in when they did the <laughs> biopsy with the needle that they, there was a piece of my bone in it. Oh, my doctor told me. Yeah. Piece of my rib. Um, I'm like, yeah, well it felt like it. I believe that. I'm yeah, I can't like, I, you know, you know, they do like top and bottom, the sides. And when they did that diet, diagonal way like I was having like this pain which they thought it was just coming from me having like a lot of like coughing and like shortness of breath from like some other stuff so she had to push on where that was and she I literally felt this pain like shoot up into my throat and I oh as she, she's like just I need you to hold it and I have tears <laughs> pouring down my face she's like what's wrong <laughs> same damn thing that was wrong a second ago she asked you know? what's wrong mammograms are so painful why yeah i think it's because the other one was perfectly fine like i really just looked uncomfortable but i wasn't really in pain but the right one is the one that had the pain in it so i think she just thought maybe a little uncomfortable but when she looked at me and i'm like tears pouring oh my god Did, like, wait, what, what is different what was the reason? Did you find out why one was I, more painful than the other? No, I still have some pain there, but I, um, you know, I don't actually feel anything, which is why I'm really happy that you brought up like what it feels like, because I feel like a lot of people say, you know, your doctors will tell you to check for things and see if you have any lumps, but we already have just like normal lumps in our breasts. So mm -hmm. no one really talks about what it actually feels like, but I never really felt, felt the pain. I had got really sick thought it was COVID for a moment, but I was coughing a lot. So I was already kind of getting pain in my chest, but it was more on the side of my breast. And when I mentioned to my doctor, she automatically said, you know, let's check anyway. Um, but I work out all the time and I've cut out any upper body exercises for a while and that's helped decrease the pain. So I'm feeling like it, it could just be more of a muscle thing. Oh yeah. I mean, it was um, yeah, if I feel like if it comes back again to that degree or just doesn't go away, maybe in the next you know couple of weeks, I might go for the MRI. But it just once I said that to her, she wanted to do it. When she put it in my head, I'm like, well, now I have to go do it now for peace of mind. I will, yeah, I will yeah. forever be indebted to a my wife for finding the lump, but mm -hmm. but b my gynecologist for still sending me in to get it checked on, even though she, you know, 
her initial thought was that it was nothing, but she was safe rather than sorry. And, and right. I, you know, the rest is history. So the, uh, yeah, the second time I had it, so I had the bilateral mastectomy, I had the expanders put in. Um, and then I went through chemotherapy from October to the beginning of, or the end of January, or sorry, October. I went through chemo for a second time from, uh, the surgery was, huh, sorry, let me start over. There's, so I there's had the, so much to unpack there. I know there's so much. And on yeah. top of it, your, your brain <laughs> is so foggy from going through all those chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had, I, I get lost in days and based <laughs> on quarantine. So the fact that you're even remotely close to your dates for this is beyond me. Yeah. There's weird things that you remember. I'm like, I remember the months that I was diagnosed. I remember like the time of year. Um, but then there are other details that seem like they should be really important that just, I, unless I wrote it down, I will forget about. Mm-hmm. But um, so I had the bilateral mastectomy in September of 2018 oh my god is it 19 let's just leave the years out for right now (laughs) so i I had the bilateral mastectomy had the expanders put in um and then i did chemo from october uh, to the beginning of january um so it was like a winter full of chemo it was miserable it was i wouldn't i mean obviously no one would wish this on anyone but it was Mm -hmm. the worst experience of my life um Surgery was horrible, but feeling like throwing up every single day for months is probably the worst thing I've ever been through. I I don't know how pregnant women do it. I have so much respect for anyone that's been through that and then chooses to do it again. I'm like, oh my God, women are so strong. I, yeah, I hear it's like, you know, once the baby's here, it's all worth it. And I'm like, that seems great, but I, I would just for a, almost a year that you're just carrying a baby and the ones that don't get sick, like that's great, <laughs> but you don't know you're not going to get sick till you're already in it, you know, but exactly. Yeah. And nausea is it's debilitating and mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm a baby about it, but I, I'm pretty sure that I don't know. I think, I don't think I was being dramatic about it. I think it was pretty awful, but anyway, um, so I went through chemo October through January uh, I waited a little bit until I got a little bit of my strength back. Mm-hmm. And then I had the surgery to replace the expanders with the permanent okay. implants. Okay. Um, and that, yeah, so that was two surgeries for the mastectomy. What did you, did you have a, a thought process in your head, like trying to decide whether or not you were going to actually go for the expanders or did you at one point just say like, I don't want it. Like, or did you, did you automatically know like you wanted to go in and get implants? It's funny because I didn't really put as much thought into it until after it had already happened. And then and then oh, I was wow. like, I think it's just because the experience of it all was pretty horrible that mm-hmm. if I look back on it, I think to myself, would I do that again? Um, no, but at the time, no, I knew I wanted implants because I, you know, I was in my, my early 30s. Um, I'd only known myself as feeling feminine and and I felt at the time I I felt that having breasts was a part of my identity Mm. um but one of the things that I learned through going through this experience and that's you know also 
has to do with hair is that right. there are physical aspects of our bodies that that don't define us and you don't realize it until after you've been through something until you've had everything stripped away from you and you're like I'm still me in here I'm still me that you realize that yeah. those are those are you know they can be things that define you but they don't have to be and for me they they really didn't at the end of the day okay so was it was it maybe a, a snap realization or did you have to go through this journey to get yourself to realize that it was a journey i remember going through chemo and and when i lost all my hair um i didn't realize how sick i looked until i'd walk by a mirror and catch sight of myself and be completely startled because to me i still felt like me inside mm -hmm. but you know to the outside world i i looked I looked sick and um, I had had really, really long hair before that. I'd always had really long hair. It was like, I guess it was a, it was a defining aspect of who I thought I was and having it stripped away just, you know, it, it made me really question like what makes me me at my core and it's not, yeah. it's not physical attributes. And and like you said, you think to yourself, what makes you you? But then it's also a good reminder to people that don't know. Like when you said that you were going through that and you, you know, would keep it to yourself because someone could be, you know, people throw around comments like, oh, you look sick. You didn't get sleep. You need to eat like just like thoughtless and have no idea what someone's actually going through or saying, you know, if someone looks this way. And especially if it's someone you care about, like maybe take that extra second to maybe learn what they're going through or let them come to you and talk about it versus casting those, those judgments. Because I exactly. think when the world around us puts it on us, we start to, like you said, you kind of like, you internalize it yourself and start speaking to yourself in that manner, even if someone else isn't. Everyone has something going on. And, yeah. you know, most people don't stop to listen to other people's stories. But mm -hmm. I actually, it's crazy that you brought that up because I, I had an experience on the subway um, with a, when my hair was growing back, um, there was a guy on the subway and he, I don't know if he seemed really drunk. He smelled like alcohol, um, but he, he was bent over in front of the doors. The train was pretty crowded. Um, I was trying to get on. So I just said, excuse me, do you mind like moving in a little bit? And he stood up and looked at me and he, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he called me a fucking dyke. I started, I started laughing because I mean, A, I'm married to a woman, but you know, he doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. But um, I started laughing because I was like, I, I guess I was subconsciously waiting for this moment for someone to make an assumption about me based on my hair, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I asked him and the train got really quiet and, uh, and everyone looked at us like, oh my God, is there about to be a fight? Cause he's like, why are you laughing? What's so funny? And I said to him, um, can I ask you a question? Why, why did you call me that? Is it because, is it because of how I look? Is it because my hair's short? He was like, yeah, I don't know. I just get that vibe about you. And I was like, well, to be honest with you, I had cancer and my hair is growing back. And his entire demeanor changed. Mm -hmm. He got incredibly apologetic, which is not what I was going for. I just wanted, I kind of. Make people think before they speak. Yeah, I had no agenda with this. It just it it just felt organic in the moment. Yeah, and he he started telling me about his aunt who had cancer and how and so suddenly he could relate to me. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of it, 
uh, he was, she was like, I'm so sorry. Have a great day. This experience really made me think. And I was like, great. I'm glad I'll tell my wife you said so. And then the door <laughs> shut and he was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope that that really did give him perspective and also other people that you said everyone else got quiet that they, you know, took a minute. They're you know? just listening. I, I think it was nice for people to see two complete strangers go from aggression to finding something in common. It was, mm-hmm. And you still, and there's people that may not be able to get there and that's fine because we all have our own feelings, but I think it also helped him in that situation and, and probably you, that you had such humor in that moment, especially like at the end, you know, like I'll tell my wife that you said so, you know, <laughs> yeah. you still had that humor. Um, because you have to have grace within yourself. If you would have snapped on him and then just went off, you guys wouldn't have had that moment. He probably wouldn't have walked away having any type of realization. He would have walked away more angry. You would have walked away angry. Like you guys both kind of had that moment of grace together. So that's for sure. And and I think at that point too, I was also just really tired. So I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, negativity. It was just not really an option. Because you <laughs> right. just don't have time for it, but um, but yeah, I I don't, phys- I guess to answer your question also about the would I have changed anything or or had second guesses about getting implants, mm-hmm. um, it's also really physically uncomfortable. Like I'm still really uncomfortable with these implants, um, mm-hmm. and I, I battle okay. with it every day. I, I don't know. I don't know. Some days I want to be flat chested. Some days I. I'm okay with it. Um, I wasn't able to keep my nipples. So, mm-hmm. and that's a thing that I don't think a lot of people talk about that don't go through breast cancer mm-hmm. is that sometimes it's not really an option for you. Um, so that also is, is hard. Do you have a way to, I guess, verbalize that? Like, what do you mean when you say that it's uncomfortable? Is it just because of it's a you know foreign material than what you're used to? Is it like extra pressure? Like what makes it so uncomfortable? So they, um, I mean, the idea with the mastectomy is to get rid of all breast tissue. So really like that's, you don't realize like how much fat and tissue you have in your chest that form your natural looking breasts. Mm -hmm. So when that's taken out um, and replaced with an implant, and this is, this is just for, uh, this is for like cancer surgeries, not for if you just go get implants, because they, if you just go get implants, they keep all that tissue in there and put an implant. Okay. Uh, with it. But with the mastectomy surgeries for cancer, they their goal is to remove all your breast tissue so that your cancer is gone and right. doesn't come back. Um, so you really, all you're left with is just skin, muscle, and implant. Mm-hmm. So it's very tight. I had to go to physical therapy um, to get that area a little bit looser. Um, there's no there's no feeling in it. That's another thing that happens when you have that kind of surgery. Got it. Um, the nerves, I'm not sure exactly what, what they do, but I think because so much is removed, the nerves are just either gone or damaged. So okay. you don't have feeling in them, but also they hurt and which makes no sense. Yeah. So maybe some just pushing on other areas that do have feeling. Yeah. I think a lot of it is the fact that the implants are underneath my pectoral muscles. So that's just, that's foreign. Your body's not used to that. Okay. Um, It's gotten a lot better. I would say with time, it gets better. But I mean, I was on pain medication for a long time. 
which is really not good for you. Yeah. You also reminded me of something too, when you mentioned the gentleman on the subway. So him talking about like his aunt, did you have anyone in your family that had cancer already uh, that you had any type of understanding? I mean, we all, you know, just know by hearing the word cancer, but knowing, you know, any type of like extent or relating to someone else, seeing anyone else go through it before you were diagnosed? My, my mom's mom, my grandmother, my mom's side had breast cancer, um, but she had it in her forties before I was born. And she has kind of a crazy story because my uncle, um, I don't know how much we, if you want to cut this part out, that's totally fine. But this is like also a ridiculous story, but Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother went through breast cancer in her forties. But at that same time, her, my grandfather, her husband uh, was shot in a robbery and uh, he survived, but he was brain damaged. So she was dealing with that. And her oldest son um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He, he basically, he, he tried to kill her. He stabbed her over 20 times. Oh, wow. Um, and she survived that. So she was dealing with a lot. And oh I think gosh, that, yeah. I think that with the breast cancer diagnosis, she kind of just put her head down and did what she had to do. She, she had bilateral, bilateral mastectomy and didn't do chemo. Yeah. Um, but she does, I think for her with that, the cancer was just such a blip in the radar compared to everything else for her mm-hmm. that I don't, she never really talked about it. We, you know, I didn't really have any experience um, hearing what it was like for her to go through that. Yeah. I don't even think I've asked her a couple times now and I don't even think she really remembers cause she was just so focused on other things. Mm-hmm. She remembers everything else that was going on at the same time. It was probably putting herself or that situation on the back burner compared to everything else that was happening. Yeah. And she, I think that's also her personality cause she says she remembers she was, she was being wheeled out into the ambulance and she was thinking to herself like, Oh no, I have a load of laundry in. It's not going to get oh, done. Wow. Like yeah. that's just, you know, she's just like that. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know too much about it from her side. Um, there is cancer in my dad's side of the family, but no one that I was close with went through it. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't really have the experience from my family. Um, I had a friend in, in from high school in college pass away from cancer. Do you feel like that would have changed anything for you, like having more knowledge about it beforehand? Or do you feel like going through the process with doctor, like maybe you had enough resources, anything that you wish, you know, you could have, you would have had to kind of make the whole process a little bit easier as far as that goes? I don't, I don't know, because I feel like unless you or someone you're extremely close with goes through it. It's really, really difficult to know what that's like. Um, Mm -hmm. I would assume, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Everyone's experience is different. Um, So I really don't want to speak for other people when I say that, but I think for me, yeah, maybe if it, if it had been a parent or a, a sibling or a, someone that I interacted with on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But okay. at the same time, like you got to live your life. You know, you can't think of, I, w- I wouldn't have wanted 
my younger self to be thinking about all these things, you know? Very true. Yeah. As you were going through the process, though, do you feel like you were given enough information while you're going through this from your doctors or from the hospital? Was it a lot of self-work that you were doing to have more of an understanding of what was going on? It was a ton of information, but because you're so in the moment um, and also not feeling well for a lot of it, it's really helpful to have someone there with you um, mm-hmm. that can take can take notes or take all that information down. They give it, I went to Memorial Stone Kettering and they're really good about giving information packets um, because I wouldn't have remembered everything. Just and, and even if you're not going through chemo at the time, your your brain is still thinking like five thousand thoughts, you know? Yeah. It's a lot. Like your grandma like doing the laundry and stuff like that. Yeah. You yeah. go into survival mode, you know. You you again, everyone's different, but for me it was like I had to be strong for other people so they wouldn't be upset around me. That was my thing. Mm-hmm. So I I almost not pretended like it wasn't happening, but I, I definitely put on a strong face. It was like, all right, put my head down. What do I have to do to get through this? That's what just what I'm going to do. Yeah. And not think about anything else, right? Just hurry up and get this done and not focus on that. Yeah. But in a weird way, and a lot of people say this, um, when you have a cancer diagnosis and you're going through treatment, it's almost easier than the period right afterwards because you have like an agenda. You feel like you're doing something about it and then treatment ends and you're like, okay, what now? Why, why aren't we still, why aren't we still battling this? You know? Since you were doing that, that might already be the answer to the next question as to just what things did you do for yourself? Like self-care or, whatever it was to kind of help yourself get through the journey mentally. Mentally. I'm going to be real with you. There were times when the only thing that would get me through would be sleeping. Okay. I just, I felt so sick that I, I, I was like, if I can just sleep for the next three months and get through this, I'll be fine and put my head down. But, um, but no, like, what did I do mentally to get myself through it? I friends were a huge help, family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so fortunate that I had people who wanted to come and be with me while I had chemo during the actual uh, infusions. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing that I had support and support yeah. from my wife. Yeah, um, that was huge. Uh, I didn't, I just, I felt sick, so sick most of the time that I didn't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds weird, but like even like distracting myself was tough. I watched a lot of football because it was kind of mindless. Yeah. Um, I connected with other uh, breasties, other (laughs) other people going through the experience that was really helpful. Okay. Did you have any major setbacks? Like, I mean, I know you had the two diagnoses, but any major setbacks going through radiation, chemo, um, the implants, like any huge thing where you're starting to kind of build yourself back up and then it's like, oh no, this thing happened. It's going to set us way back now. No, I was really fortunate um, that treatment went really well because a lot of people during chemo, their white blood cell count will be low or they'll they'll get sick and they will have to skip the treatment. But um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate that um, I, I wasn't able, 
that I was fortunate that I was able to get through it um, relatively unscathed. I just, I dealt with really bad nausea. I was on, I think I was on like three different nausea medications at once and they weren't doing anything. The only Mm -hmm. thing that helped was um, ginger gum. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I get, uh, I have bad vertigo. Like I get vestibular migraines and I get nausea almost every morning. So I'm actually going to make note of that and try. Yeah. I, it's really annoying. Some days it's worse than others, but I'm pretty much used to it. Doesn't make it fun, but I'm pretty much used to it. I'll have to try it because I feel like nothing. Yeah. It's just medications they give you. They don't do anything. And I would obviously love to opt for something that's more natural anyways. Yeah. It's great. The brand is called C brand S E A or C sorry. C band S E A band. Got it. I'm looking into it. Ginger anti-nausea gum. Yeah. That was literally the only thing that would help me. Do you feel like there were, and back to the beginning of the episode, you talked about how you felt like it was going to hinder you from getting work. Do you feel like there were personal relationships, work relationships that were affected by this? Beyond obviously not being able to do as much as you could before. I don't know about relationships being affected by it permanently, but um, I noticed that people, when they don't know how to respond to to someone with an illness, they kind of just disappear a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a malicious way. They just don't know how to handle it. Um, yeah. I had, it was weird. Like there were some people that just, some friends that I had that weren't super close friends that really wanted to be there all the time and then kind of dropped away afterwards, which mm-hmm. in hindsight, I think maybe they were just trying to make themselves feel good about something. But for the most part, no. I mean, like my good friends and and obviously my family, like those relationships, if anything, are stronger um, through good. it. Yeah. Work relationships though, no. I remember the second time I was sick, um, my boss at the time told me one day that I looked sick and that I should start working from home. And that was kind of a, I know that it wasn't, the intent wasn't to make me feel bad. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was to help me, but yeah, I, it, I was, I took that really personally um, because I, I was fighting against being a, quote unquote, sick person so hard. And then at the end of the day, I just, I kind of had to give in. But Letting I still that be worked. your identity, as you had mentioned before, right? Yeah, but it's crazy because that is, no one's identity is sick person, mm-hmm. but other people put that on you and it's so frustrating. Yeah. Like seeing, seeing the look on people's faces and knowing that they feel bad for you is the worst. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who have these misconceptions who are ignorant and maybe there's common phrases or things that people are saying or not understanding um you know how how can we be better in that way this is a thing that a lot of people say and again i know that no one has bad intentions with anything but the phrase lost their battle is hard because it implies that they did something wrong it's not it's an internal thing going on in your body that you it's almost like saying they didn't do enough yeah saying they exactly saying they Uh didn't do enough Mm -hmm. um 
and it's not, I mean, it is a, it's a fight, but it's not, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry, my brain's. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I guess it sounds like now you're, you're trying to explain to me and the audience as to what would be the better way to put it. Right. Yeah. I don't even know. I just know maybe just, and I don't even know if this just applies to someone that's passed, but but yeah, lost the battle is is a hard mm-hmm. term for me to swallow. Um, because I know personally, if I, you know, God forbid if I passed away and people said that, it'd be like I failed. And mm-hmm. I did it's everything like she, I you, could. You didn't do enough, you failed. Cancer won. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Um and it's and we're so people are so afraid of the word cancer and they're so afraid of getting it that they kind of put it out of their conscious thought until it directly affects them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think, then I think they understand, but it's not that people are ignorant about things. They just, it's such a, it's such a heavy thing to deal with. Yeah. How has, how would you say your life has changed the most because of having cancer? Like what life perspective? Yeah. I would say that, I'm present more often than I was before. I'm present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I make decisions based on my true heart and my feelings about things rather than what I worry about, you know, people's perceptions of me would be. Yeah. Um, I try to, I mean, I and I think I was like this before, but I really try to understand other people's stories and, and other people's truths. And I, I like listening more. I mean, it doesn't sound like it now because I'm talking on a podcast this a lot. Your, but this is your time, yeah. <laughs> but, but I really I think it's important. But I can to tell that and through you speaking that you're, you pick up on those things, you know, because you, really? you often say, you know, I don't want to speak for anyone else, which a lot of times people will, like if I'm asking you a question, I know that you're speaking on a personal level. So a lot of times it's without saying and that you don't want to speak for someone else, but you take that extra step, like just in case I'm just saying this for me, you know, or if you're speaking on your experience with cancer, you're like, well, I don't even know if this is just in regards to cancer. It could be with any illness. You take that extra step because you're still picking up on, I might not know other illnesses or other people's experiences. This is just mine. Totally. And I think that that's a thing that I learned through this because I mean, think about your life where you, do you feel like you're the same exact person that you were a decade ago? I'm not the same person I was probably two weeks ago. I get (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like you, you change and evolve as a person and to sit there and, and say like, this is my thought on this. This is the absolute truth is just, you know, your future self could look back at you and be like, Oh no, you have Mm -hmm. so much to learn. So I try to, uh, look at things like that. I did before, but I was, I was a wild, wild child in my twenties. <laughs> Anna, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I can also pick up on that too. When you said, you know, the whole battle conversation that you're like, well, I don't really know how we, we can explain this, but it's, even if we just get out that that's maybe not the route to go, we don't have to really have the answer right now, but maybe in a year you're, you're like, let me, you know, this is exactly how it should be discussed, but it's just saying like, this is probably not the best way, you know? 
and doesn't mean that it's always going to be that you can change it, develop it more with time. You might see it a different exactly. way. Yeah. You reminded me of something else just now too. Um, a lot of people, and I know that they can't have just said this to me. I'm sure other people going through illnesses have had this said to them, but people always say, oh, you're so brave. And Mm-hmm. My response to that is like, you know, it's really nice of you to say, but um, what other choice did I have? <laughs> yeah. Like, what was I going to do? Curl up in a ball and just give up? I mean, yeah. And, and I said that to someone once and they were like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could. And it, it hadn't dawned on me until that moment that that was even an option. Yeah. Um, I have I have a friend who went through, she had uh, throat cancer and when I started getting vertigo, like it was getting really bad, I kind of went to her because I felt, you know, my issue obviously was the vertigo, but more so there was no answer as to what it was. So I'm like, well, I don't, you know, not that I wanted it to even be a brain tumor or whatever it was, but I'm like, at least if I know what it is, then I can at least know how to help myself or feel better without knowing what it is. I just felt stuck. So I would go to her and ask, you know, how do you, because it took her, I think about five doctors to figure out what the problem was. They did every, you know, they told her it was her tonsils. Sometimes they would just tell her, oh, you're young, be happy. How, Me, how old is she? Um, when she was diagnosed, she was 25. Wow. Yeah. And I, I would get that same thing a lot. And she got to the point, you know, where she couldn't even open her mouth wide enough to put, to like brush her teeth. So she's looking at the nurse thinking, you know, you're saying I'm young, be happy. What is the correlation with me not even being able to open my mouth, you know, wide enough to brush my teeth? Or when people tell me, you know, I had doctors tell me like, oh, just be happy. You're young. You don't have anything to worry about. Cool. But then explain to me why I'm getting like these, you know, sharp pains in the back of my skull or the headaches all the time or nausea every morning, you know? Um, But yeah, I would have people tell me, oh, it's so great. You know, I think that uh, you know props to you that you're actually going through the process of trying to figure out what's wrong I'm like well yeah like <laughs> yeah why wouldn't you well, I think <laughs> the women have a hard time because in the past a lot of women were chalked up as having hysteria when they would go to doctors with mm-hmm. symptoms um yeah and I think that that's you know maybe not completely happening today, but I think it's like a remnant of a bygone era. And I think a lot of times women just aren't listened to when they say things are wrong with them for whatever reason. Um, And yeah, and the whole you're young thing, I think that doctors need to throw that out the window because all I've met so many women who are my age or younger who have been through cancer already and men, but women through this journey. um, The campaign that we did, remember when I went through kind of ask you some more surface level questions about cancer. And some of the girls that I interviewed were, I think the youngest one was 17. Yeah. So I'm like, don't tell me at, you know, 25, 30, you're too young when there's like 17, 17 year, six year old kids, whatever it is, you know? So that's just not, it's not rooted in anything. No. And I mean, it's better to be safe than sorry as well. But I have a question for you. What, um, how did you end up finding out that you had vertigo? Well, so the vertigo is usually just, it's more of a symptom of something else. So, 
um, the first time I had got really dizzy, I was actually working in a restaurant. I remember just standing there and then the whole room started spinning and I had to kneel down and close my eyes for like 10 minutes. Um, and it would just, ever since that, that moment, I would get a vertigo spell once, you know, every couple of months. And then it just progressively got more and more frequent every two weeks, whatever it is. Now I basically have it all the time. Oh my God. So <laughs> it do you always take medication? Feels like I, I've been prescribed a couple things that didn't work. Um, I always just feel like I, the easiest way I can explain it to doctors is I feel like I've had one glass of wine. And then usually they'll say, oh, well, that's great. You don't have to buy the wine. Like, that's not. Wait, a doctor said that to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. well, that's great. You don't even have to get the wine. You could just already feel that way. But like, that's a people's choice to feel that way. I don't want to just feel that all the time, you know? That's horrible. Yeah, there's got to be better terminology, definitely, in the medical field. But it just progressively got worse. Um, I looked into, you know, ENTs, neurology, cardiology, pulmonology, like every single doctor you can think of. And I always thought vestibular migraines could be it. So I had seen a otolaryngologist that gave me like a list of things that could trigger migraines. Um, I'm still not really set on that. I think it could still maybe be an inner ear thing. Um, I'm going to get like an x-ray of my sinuses, but I think I just, it started off with those, like the dizziness getting worse. And then the nausea, I think maybe started within the past year. And it's very strange because it'll come for like three to four months and then it'll just disappear. And then it'll come back for like six months. And it'll just disappear. It's I hope really you weird. get, I hope you get answers about yeah. that. Um, I, for me, I mean, obviously I still want to make sure it's nothing more serious. So I'm still like seeing doctors, but I, I don't know if this is a good way to do it, but I tell myself it's never going to go away. So if it does, then great surprise. And if it doesn't, I won't feel, you that's know, one way so to look <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I have to be realistic about my, my, uh, cancer experience and just know that for the rest of my life, you know, in, the, in a similar way, it's not going to be a thing that I don't have to deal with. And it's like so many negatives in that sentence, but cancer will always be something in the back of my mind, unfortunately, and, and something I have to keep tabs on. So yeah, I, I, I empathize with that. Yeah. With your views on how did your friend, um, how was she finally diagnosed? She esophageal cancer, you said? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Throat cancer. Yeah. I'm not sure like the technical term, but she, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like the fifth doctor. They told her it was, you know, TMJ. They were giving her Botox. They took her tonsils out. They did everything but what they should have done. <clears throat> and then she was here at, um, Cedar sinai and, the doctor caught it there. And I don't remember like exactly what it was that made them, how they, how they caught it, but it was just all these things that she was, you know, going through that she's like, that's not like they're doing this, but I, you know, she's like, I know it's not that. I know it's not that. And even when I talked to her, you know, today, she tells me like, I knew it was cancer. Like I knew I had that feeling and you know, you have to be your own advocate. I'm sure you, you know that too. So yeah. When she, I didn't know this because she told me after, um, I think it was right after the diagnosis, but that at her wedding, she, you know, the music's loud. So maybe you're going up to someone close and you're speaking and I, I didn't notice. So she said, nobody noticed, but she couldn't even, that's, that's around the time where she couldn't open her mouth. 
wide enough to even brush her teeth or get her finger in her mouth. It was so tight. Uh, but nobody noticed because I just figured she'd come up and, you know, talk really close. But yeah, she said she knew. So at, at, at her wedding, she was already going through all those things. And apparently it was a, a like a virus that they, they think just continue to grow from when she was a child or something crazy. Cause you know, a lot of people hear that and they think, well, you know, she's a smoker, never smoke. Um, yeah. And it's by the time they had even got it, it was like, she was like in really, really bad shape. And then yeah, her doctors were always like, Oh, you're like a miracle girl because of, you know, where she was to where she is now. And it's, Yeah. I don't, I don't want to let so she her tell her own story, but huh? She went through treatment and everything. She had. She went through treatment. Yeah. She did a uh, chemo radiation, um, here in LA. She lives in Vegas and, um, they do like a spray type of radiation because it's on her throat. Oh yeah. yeah I'm going to ask how they do that. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, going back, you made me think of something about being your own advocate. Um, I think that just one thing to note for women going through breast cancer and just from speaking with other women who've gone through it, um, and shout out to, to the breasties because they're a really good source of information. Um, we will link that in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they helped me so much. But you have to be your own advocate at a doctor because you can't just completely trust that what you're told is the best thing for you specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially, I mean, when it comes to treatment, first of all, everything is completely your choice. You can choose if chemo is something that you want or not. Um, But also when it comes to reconstruction, because Mm -hmm. I think, I think that a lot of doctors, especially back in the day would assume that, you know, every woman wants, Every woman wants breasts, like they want reconstruction. A lot of women are opting to not have that now. Um, If if you're able to, you know, you can choose the type of, if you want reconstruction, you can choose the type you want. There's just, there are options for the most part for you and and advocate for yourself. Uh, Yeah. my, My... See, this is a chemo side effect. You're, you're like, you're like, I have a point and then my brain just goes, girl, I did not, what was the time? <laughs> and I like, I have the same thing and I didn't go through chemo. Like you, I, you can tell me to look up at the ceiling right now and tell you what I'm wearing. And I may forget. You're like, what did you say? <laughs> Do you write everything down? Cause I literally have always been the kind of person that would like write a to-do list for myself. But now if mm-hmm. I don't write a to-do list for myself, I will not remember what I had to do. I have notes. Like if I have ideas for like the podcast, for example, but if it's just things throughout the day, I have, like, I can show you in my phone, I might have like 10 different alarms. <laughs> like, for example, I can have like water delivery, right? And if I forget to put like the bottles out, I might just have an alarm at like 630 tonight, like put the water bottles outside. God, what did we do before it is. technology? <laughs> I was supposed to be born in this era because there's no way I would have made it. I think though... I think there is a level of dependency there because we know we have that. We, mm. we depend on it. You know, um, people don't know the definition of a word. No one's going to go grab a dictionary. They're going to Google it. You know, we, we let our, we allow ourselves to be dependent in those areas that we know are at our, like at our fingertips. 
True. That's very true. Anytime (laughs) I I think about that sometimes when I'm hanging out with friends and we're, you know, we're discussing something and then someone asks, or I'll have a question about something and we'll be like, there is no reason we should have unanswered questions about anything. We can just Google immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Anything. I might alarm, like call Anna back. (laughs) <laughs> email whatever it is good at least i mean you're on top of it the alarms we get, get it done we do it you talked about your life perspective you're just like more in the moment are there any things that you do uh i don't know if the, i don't want to say on a physical level but that you in a way that you live your life differently aside from just living in the moment where you are you know, take that extra step to maybe educate someone about something or, you know, maybe the moment when you met the gentleman on the subway and maybe you would have just ignored that where you take the extra step to kind of bring awareness. I knew that I was now in a position uh, with the knowledge and the experience that I had to help other people that were going through something similar. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to I try to do that and and I want to keep continuing to do that because I was like, all right, you know, I I wasn't maybe necessarily given this for a reason, but I can choose to do something with that experience. Um, And what would I have wanted, you know, for me going through it was to have help and and an ear and advice from another person who knew what it was like. So, so that is, that's something that, that I do more now. Um, I listen. I listen more, to be totally honest. I, mm-hmm. I listen to people and their issues. I, I'm less quick to make judgments. Um, yeah, I, I catch the moments that you turn the tables on me and ask about ask stuff. <laughs> I'm on. To be totally honest with you, like I'm not used to being a guest, and and I get uncomfortable talking about myself for so long. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I, have I you think here. it's. <laughs> It's it's a good thing, but it's also bad because like, you know, you have to you gotta sell yourself sometimes. I think, you know, it's interesting because I'm like I can talk a lot and it's funny because I'm like, great, you know, great avenue for me. Have a podcast. I can talk, you know, but the point is to have my guests talk. But I can be the same way. Like I can talk a lot and about myself in the appropriate setting, like what you're saying. So if someone's like, okay, be a guest, whatever, we're having conversation. Um, but there are moments when you're asking me like, oh, how did you find out about the vertigo that I'm kind of like, oh, this is about you. But at the same time, it's like, you know, <laughs> organic conversation. But I think, I think there's gems in that because if you're someone that's always listening to other people, then you've got all that knowledge in there that people are, you know, wanting to ask questions because you're always observing and listening. And you vibe, we, I mean, people you know? vibe off each other too. Like you can, it's, I work in comedy and a lot of it, you know, some of it's improv, some of it's sketch, but like a lot of it comes from connecting with other people and being yeah. like, oh, you just made me think of this or that reminds yeah. me of that. And we can commiserate about this one thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I could, I could get a little better at talking about myself more. <laughs> but I used Let to, when I was younger, two. well, the problem was that I, I used to be so in my own world about everything. And not that I was a jerk, but looking back on that person that I was in my twenties and even like in high school a little bit, I could have been a little bit less self-centered. I wasn't like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't mean per se, but I think I was very entrenched in my own world. Um, And I could have learned a lot more had I had my eyes and ears, ears open more. 
Yeah. I think we could all do that. I'm sure we will probably say the same about ourselves now in like 10 years too. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I, you know, like whenever people will say like, oh, you, you haven't changed, you know, a bit since high school, whatever, when you, or, or the reverse, I get a lot from people. It's like, oh, you've changed so much. And I'm kind of like, yes, thank you. <laughs> that, that was the plan because okay, I, I don't want to so. be who I was when I graduated high school. Yeah. Um, do you do anything as far as, you know, do you change the way you are from a health perspective, eating, exercising? Um, okay. So this is so bad. Um, uh-oh. I'm actually, I've been thinking about this. I'm really mad at myself because in the beginning I was so good about eating healthy. I, I made a list. It said like, you know, clean 15 versus the dirty dozen or whatever it was. And I was really good about eating well. Um, and then as I got just back into the swing of daily life and work mm-hmm. and everything, it kind of fell off a little bit. Um, I don't, I've been vegetarian since 2010. Okay. Um, but so, I mean, I feel good about that from a moral standpoint, but um, I eat ever since I went through chemo, I eat so much more sugar than I ever did. Oh, Wow. I don't know why. I'm sure it has something. I think during chemo, I wasn't drinking any alcohol. And sometimes you crave sugar um, when you don't get it from something like alcohol. So I don't know. I I love raw cookie dough. Um, Do you find yourself just eating it more? Do you have like an actual sweet tooth? Like you're craving it? I I never craved desserts before ever. And now I I crave them. Uh, Okay. Um, I also... You know, like alcohol was something that I maybe, not that I ever had a, a problem with alcohol, but I, I drank more than I probably should have in my 20s and early 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, and going through a health scare like this really made me stop and think about if that was something that I really wanted to be a, a part of my life anymore. And I think lately I've I've been socializing a little bit more um, and and drink a little bit more than I want to. And I always feel so guilty about it. Mm. Not to the point of being like, you know, completely out of it or hung over, but alcohol fuels breast cancer. So every time I have even like one drink, I I feel horrible about it. I'm like, you went through all of this. Why would you put yourself at a risk? Yeah, I get it. It's a balance, right? It's a, it's a balance and you can't be hard. You have to live your life. And yeah, that, that goes to say in, in every aspect, like eating healthy, you know, it's like you or working out, you know, I, I love to work out. It's also a good like de-stressor for me, but there's a balance. You know, there were times I know in college, if I was stressed out, I could go to the gym or go outside and run for like three or four hours and then what? wonder hours? <laughs> and then wonder why, you know, my body can barely move for the next couple of weeks, you know, oh there's a balance. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't think I've ever run for more than like 30 minutes. I, yeah, I'm just such a, like, I love cardio, which is, I know some people like, that's not a thing, (laughs) but I, I love it because I love, you know, you're never, even if you don't like working out, you're never going to regret your workout when it's over, you know? No, it's endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. So in the moment, especially if I think it's just like, I'm outside, I'm already sweaty and I'm gross. I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep going. But then it's like my mind's also like keep going until you can't anymore, which is also not smart. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to find that balance. Yeah. But yeah, there's times I remember one time specifically, I don't even remember what happened, but it was just a really, really bad day. And I ran. It was supposed to be like a, a two mile run and I ran like 10 miles. And I was in <laughs> so much pain. Yeah. Like, oops. 
accident. Where those extra eight come from? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a balance in everything. Do you have um, a lot of maintenance now? Because I know you said that's something that you'll, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? So um, my breast cancer was uh, estrogen receptor positive. Um, So they have me on uh, hormone therapy. So I get a shot in my butt once every three months. um, And that basically shuts my ovaries down. Uh, And then I take a daily oral medication. The way they describe it, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but Mm -hmm. is that your ovaries are like, let's just think of them as like key producing machines. And then the uh, the receptors in these cells are like the locks. And when the estrogen goes into the lock, it turns the cancer on. So basically mm-hmm. shutting the ovaries down stops the production of the keys and then taking the daily oral medication jams up the lock. Okay. If that makes any sort of I, sense. Yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't know if it's translating the same way, but I get okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> Basi- so basically my ovaries are shut down because the more estrogen that's produced in my body, the greater my chance of having the cancer come back. Yeah. Um, if it, it fuels it. Um, but so because I am on these hormone medications, um, my body is in uh, a menopause state and it, okay. it will be unless I stop taking the medications or have my ovaries removed. And really those are the only two options that my oncologist wants. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're, it's like the hot flashes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have all, all, and it's not like, like a lot of women, when they go through menopause, it's, it's a more of a gradual natural thing with this. Mm -hmm. It's like, boom, overnight you're in menopause. So the, it's like hot flashes to the point where you're sweating, um, Mm -hmm. body pains, joint pains. Um, and that's a daily thing you'll just have. It's a daily thing I'll have, uh, my body completely changed. I was super thin before, I put on about 15 to 20 pounds in the very beginning until I started working out again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have weight in places I didn't, I didn't hold on to it before, like my hips, my stomach, my thighs. Um, your skin is just not as, as soft as it once was. And mm-hmm. I don't know if, if I notice it more than other people would, but I, to me, when I look at myself, I feel I like mean, I from a distance, different. I don't see like, no (laughs) from like five years ago but yeah but again it's like facetime zoom calls so (laughs) i think it's i think honestly it is it is visible but it's more of like a a physical thing for me that i feel um i work i have to work out every single day almost or else i'm in pain um or just feel sluggish yeah um the peloton saved my life during quarantine i've been hearing a lot about the peloton yeah Oh, like other people have been like, yeah, it's been saved me. the hot commodity right now. <laughs> I know. I wish I bought stock in it. Yeah. See, <sighs> but no, I honestly, like it is the hype is real. I'm not making money by saying that. Um, <laughs> it really, it got me back to feeling like myself again. I was really depressed good. in the beginning. Yeah. It's good that, that that's doing that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what words would you have for, people that are going through cancer right now. Um, maybe you can't speak to that in all levels, but at least, you know, when it comes to breast cancer, um, resources, encouragement. Um, a, you're not alone. Um, it, when you have an illness like that, 
<laughs> an illness like that. Sorry, that sounds weird. When you are sick, um, it can be extremely lonely because you just, you feel like, you know, it's an experience that other people aren't sharing with you because it's just so singular, but yeah, you're not alone. Um, other people have been through this and are going through this and it is really helpful to reach out and talk to people that that's what made me feel the best when I was going through it was just talking to other people that knew what it was like, yeah. um, having a support system and, and having people that, you know, not that it's the fault of your friends or family, but they, that don't feel bad for you. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, they commiserate more than they, people that just, they don't, they don't feel bad for you. They understand what it's like. Okay. Yeah. Like they're I'm trying to think of a more eloquent Maybe not like empathy, it. but they have like sympathy for what's happening. Yeah. I think, I mean, I guess maybe there isn't really a more eloquent way to say it, but just people that know what you're going through. Um, because it, it's a, you do feel very lonely, very alone yeah. through the process. Yeah. So I do have, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, this is getting dark, but, like, when you have an illness like cancer, you start thinking about your own mortality, and that's Mm – it can be very lonely. I mean, people have different beliefs about what happens after you die, but, like, for me, I don't know, and and I felt like, you know, this was – if it was going to happen, it would be a process that I would probably go through alone. Um, So that was – it was scary, and it was lonely, And, and talking to other people that understood it was really comforting yeah i go back to when i first met you like i said life of the party anna over here (laughs) um (laughs) and as i had mentioned previously or in the beginning of the episode that you are also a writer and a comedian and are you down to play a game yes (laughs) yes (laughs) oh i just thought of one other thing yeah um Going through cancer made me face my fears because nothing to me will be scarier than going through something like that again. So I wanted to try stand up forever. I was scared to do it. Mm. Never did it. Tried stand up after I it's like the first thing I did after I got better. Are you doing anything right now since we're in the pandemic? Are you doing anything virtual? I took uh I took a writing class, a TV pilot writing class to brush up on that. And I'm currently taking uh, another writing class. Awesome. All right. We're going to have a lot of information for you all in the notes for Anna. (laughs) Um, Okay. So this game that I chose to play with you, I, I, it was so hard for me to narrow it down between these two games, but we're going to uh, play a game called drunk on the job. Okay. So basically, I am going to ask you some questions. You're going to be interviewing for a job. However, this job you're interviewing for, you will not know what the position is. Oh, awesome. (laughs) So if you guess it, great. If not, then, I mean, also great. So Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for the interview today. Um, I want to just start off with your experience. So what made you apply for this role? Oh, wow. Uh, This role that I don't know anything about. Let's see. (laughs) Um, I'm great at talking and not talking. (laughs) I'm great at listening and not listening. Uh, I'm great at typing on a computer Mm, with all my fingers. 
Oh, great. Okay. Um, so in this particular role, there will be no typing. It's great oh. that you have that. Um, but I'm more concerned with if you are comfortable with the long hours that the position um, entails. I mean, yeah, I, I worked on sets before, so I'm used to production hours, which are, you know, bare minimum 12 hour days usually. Great. Okay. So you're used to being away from home, like being on the road, traveling. Oh yeah. I love traveling. Awesome. I mean, not, not necessarily during a pandemic, but yes. Yes. Um, you might still have to do that during this pandemic. Are you okay oh. with that? Do you supply us with N95 masks? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you have insurance? Yes, we do. Oh, great. Yes. Although right now there's currently uh, no, no vaccine for COVID. So exactly. even if we have insurance, that doesn't really do much for you. But No, I'm going to sue your ass. Yeah. Um, are you also, I know you said you worked on sets. So are you also good with heavy lifting? Uh, I'm horrible with heavy lifting <laughs> because... Okay. Because A, uh, I had both my breasts removed, so my pec muscles are very uh, weak. And oh. B, uh, I, I'm, I've always been horrible at heavy lifting. Okay. How about days without a shower? Um, intentionally or unintentionally? Uh, well, you just might not have a shower uh, readily available for you for maybe three to four days at a time. Hmm. Well, I love the crickets in the background. It just makes for easy. There are crickets in my basement. My cat hunts them every night. I know, but it's even better effect. It it just adds to the thinking effect, the pause. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've done it before. Uh, I can do it again. Great. So you can Uh, also, if you're okay with not showering for days at a time, you're also okay with maybe sleeping in your vehicle for a few days at a time? I'm just imagining, <laughs> I'm just imagining sleeping in that car. Uh, yeah. There, the there will also down. be no air conditioning, just so you know. Wow. Uh, that's probably pretty true. My car is a beater. Um, well, we, we will supply you with a vehicle, but there will be no air conditioning. Oh, okay. What kind of vehicle? It's a large vehicle. It's all um, the information I actually have for you at the moment. Do I have to drive this large vehicle? Yeah, you will. Um, there also might be moments where people are screaming at you or flipping you off, but yes, you will have to drive the large vehicle. Am I a truck driver? You are? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> Woo! You got it. Anna, I have one more question for you. Um, yeah. So this is something I like to ask all of my guests. So two Annas walk into a bar and they both order a glass of whiskey and lemon. There is one Anna at, let's say, 20 years old. And then Anna today. What advice are you giving 20-year-old Anna? I would say to 20-year-old Anna, do the things that scare you because they will be the most fulfilling and you won't die with regrets. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and hopefully I get to have you on again soon. Thank you for having me. This was great.